Some of you know me, some of you have never met me in my entire life, but one of the things that I love in life, uh, that I love from when I was a little guy until uh, to this day, uh, when we go to family camp is camp, summer camp. Um, when I was a kid, grew up going to camp. We did the, the lake and the horseback riding and all that stuff. And uh, when I was in college, I worked at a camp, loved every second of, well, not every second, most of the seconds I loved. And then when I got out of college, I got into student ministry and we would take kids to camp every summer. We'd do trips, we'd do mission trips, we'd do camps, that kind of thing. And there was one consistent thing that I saw from when I was a kid as a camper to a counselor to then the youth pastor taking kids to camp. There was one constant. And it was when you left camp, everybody had what you call the camp high. Everybody had a great time. It was just great. They did this and they did that. And, and uh, their faith was just in a place it had never been before. And they would leave every time. And I would, as a kid, say, you know what? I'm going to go back and my life's never going to be the same. It would happen every single time we went to camp or mission trip or whatever it was. Because something happened on that trip. And then lo and behold, about a week or 10 days after you get back from the trip, it's kind of like, actually, nothing's changed. And you kind of, you're like, what? You're scratching your head and be like, what, what happened there? Was that just, was, was I manipulated? Was, was that not real? And, and we start to wonder, like, what now? Like, I had this, this experience. What now? What's next? Where am I going? Is this, is this actually what my life is about. And I think that bleeds into what we're gonna be in scripture today. We're gonna be in Romans chapter eight. And Paul has just given us this wonderful news of there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He gives us this wonderful, wonderful news. And what Paul does next is he says, now let me tell you how to walk out the Christian life. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, because if we just end with Romans chapter 8, verses 1, 2, and 3, I think we'll very quickly find ourselves in the same place as when we were kids leaving camp saying, well, what now? Like, what, what happened? And so I love that Paul takes us there. He doesn't leave us wondering, because I do think that we often start to feel this way, the, the is this it kind of thing. And if we can be honest for a second, we typically have a routine when we start to feel that way. When we start to feel that our faith is a little bit like, eh, what's happening? Like, I need to, I need to get a, a jump start in my faith. And what we start to do, we start to, oh, I need to go to church more. I, I need to go get involved more. I need to uh, maybe worship a little bit more. I need to start listening to Christian radio station. And we look for these things, these mechanisms to give us a jump start in our faith. Because we want to get back to that camp high type feeling. And I just wonder if maybe there's a couple things that we can glean from Paul in chapter 8 of Romans that gives us some hope and some direction of how do we actually walk out this life in Christ? How do we avoid, how do we keep from getting that weird feeling of like, now what? Is this it? Because I don't believe for one iota that Christ died for you and he died for me so that we would live a life of this is it? Because Jesus himself tells us in Galatians, or Paul tells us in Galatians 5, that Christ has come 
to set you free and to live life to the fullest in the abundant life. And so we're gonna get in. If you're not in your Bibles yet, turn to Romans chapter eight because tonight we're gonna talk about how we live the Christian life that actually makes a difference in your life. We're gonna talk about the now what of our faith in Jesus. So we're gonna start in Romans chapter eight, verses four. We're gonna work through 13 tonight. We're not gonna hit every single verse. We're gonna kind of look at it as a whole and in three different sections. So join me in verse four of chapter eight of Romans. Here we go. Well, we'll start in three a little bit. He condemns sin in the flesh. Remember, we ended that last week, that Jesus does not condemn us, he condemns sin, okay? Verse three, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set their mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And so here's my first point tonight. Walking according to the Spirit means, number one, being preoccupied by the right things. Being preoccupied with the right things, because Paul is offering us two paths here. All right, similar to what he was talking about in Romans 7 and early in, in chapter 8, he's saying, listen, there are two ways here. There is the way of the flesh, which is our sinful nature, our natural selves, and there's the way of the spirit, surrendered and following Jesus. There's two ways. And one way leads to death, and one way leads to life and peace. The, the idea here is that whatever you set your mind on shapes your lifestyle and character, whether that is a lifestyle and character that leads to death or a lifestyle and a character that leads to life and peace. Paul's offering these two paths. Because remember last week, he did the same thing. He was wrestling with this idea of like, why do I do the things that I do not want to do? The things I know I should do and the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do and the things I hate, I end up doing. And so in Romans 7, when we looked at last week, he's saying there are two laws. There's the law of sin and death, which we would take as I'm gonna earn my salvation. I'm gonna just be good. I'm gonna be the best. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna do it. But at the end of Romans 7, he tells us, What a wretched man I am. Who is gonna save me from this body of death? Because his body is the weak link, his flesh is the weak link. And so he's, again, talking here about two dominions waging war. Because if you remember in Romans 7 last week, he's saying, there is a sin issue. Sin is the problem, and the problem is that it dwells in me. We ended last week by talking about this idea that our culture believes that the problem is out there and the solution is in here, when the Bible teaches us that the problem of sin is in here and the, and the solution is out there, and his name is Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what Romans 7 and Romans 8 tell us. That there's two dominions and they're waging war. I think sometimes we fool ourselves as Christians that we, we kind of buy into this. Well, if I love Jesus, then I won't struggle anymore. If I love Jesus, temptation won't come anymore. If I just love Jesus, then everything will be all right. Like that's crazy talk. Let me give you this, this little picture example. If you, whether it's a dog or a raccoon or a cat, if you corner that animal, and it feels threatened, what is it gonna do? It is gonna bite and claw and scratch because it is scared and it is threatened. So why would we believe that as we walk in the Christian life, 
as we trade one dominion for the next, that we once were slaves to sin and now we're slaves to righteousness, there's a coup happening within us. As we give our lives to Jesus, there's a coup for dominion of your soul and your mind and your life. And so the dominion of sin, our natural selves, is threatened. And so, of course, you are going to be bombarded with temptation and aggressive temptation. And you're going to feel like there's more temptation because Satan knows he's losing grip on you. He's had dominion. When we give our lives to Jesus, we're ushering in a new regime that says, no, now I got this. I have purchased this. This is my child. We look at this idea and we throw this, this, this term at it in the church, this idea of battling uh, the dominions, right? We're, 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 where there's a coup happening. It's the word repent. And that word repent carries a lot of baggage in the world. Like we think, you know, I, I'm growing up thinking uh, repent for the end is near, the guy in the street corner with the, the cardboard box thing. And you're like, that guy's crazy. Okay, repentance, I, I'm not even gonna talk about it because that's, that's what I view to it. But here's what repentance is. It's a wonderful and simple idea. It is this idea of dominion, of I was going this way and I'm gonna repent and I'm gonna turn and go this way. It's just a reorientation of our heart and our mind. And that's what he is saying in Romans 4, 5, and 6. He says, those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. It's a reorienting of our minds. You see, life, the decisions we make, the behaviors that we do, do not start with our body. They start up here. We live out what we believe. That's how we work. Science has told us this for generations, that if it's the power of the mind. And so it's no doubt that Paul is writing the church in Rome, which is the intellectual hub of the universe at this time, saying, listen, if you want to follow Jesus in power and victory, it starts here. It doesn't start by doing. It starts by setting my mind on the things of God. We see these same words in a different way, in the letter of Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, it says this, Since then you have been raised in Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated. Your life is now hidden in Christ. We need to set our minds. And maybe another way to say it is we need to become preoccupied with the things of the Spirit of God. To give you a, maybe a, a little idea, something that maybe some of you are familiar with is, this idea of preoccupying our mind, reorienting our mind to the things of the Spirit of God is why traditional Christian accountability does not work. This is why traditional Christian accountability fails over and over and over. Here's why. Because traditional Christian accountability says, hey, let's meet together and let's talk about our behavior and let's, let's ask, hey, how did, how did you screw up this week? Where did you struggle this week? Where did you fail this week? That's Romans 7 stuff. That's Romans 7 because it doesn't touch the heart. It doesn't touch the power of our faith. It talks about, it, it's talking about Romans 7. It's all up to you. You just need to grit your teeth, be more self-disciplined, try harder, be better, go do more stuff. 
That's why Christian accountability often fails because our eyes are on the sin, not the Savior. That is why Christian accountability fails. Our focus and we are preoccupied in that which trips us up over and over and over. And every week you get together with all your friends whom you love and you just talk about failure. Now, if I know the guys in the room, that's the last thing we want to do because my ego gets in the way. And pretty soon I'll just leave that accountability group because all they do is remind me of how much I suck. And you know what I want to talk about? I want to talk about victory in Jesus. I want to see him overcoming the sin in my life that I can live the life that God has called me to and saved me for. And so there's this, this battle. And it starts here. And Paul says, one leads to death and one leads to life and peace. We must know these things. Jesus said, in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I don't know about you, but when I'm told by Paul and when I'm told by Jesus that there is a way that leads to death, a way that will destroy me and kill me, and there's also a path that leads to life and peace, in a full and abundant life, it is a no-brainer. But we live in these bodies of flesh that are oriented to this. We wake up every day oriented to this, preoccupied with this, preoccupied with our lusts and our desires and our wants and our urges. And Jesus said, no, I've come to set you free from those things. Now walk in life and peace, follow me. Because whether you know it or not, God cares about you deeply. This took me way too long to figure out. And you've heard me say it over and over. He did not come to catch you in your sin. He came to set you free from the sin that has caught you. Because he loves you and he cares for you. And he has made a way. And the, the way is Jesus. And we live that out by walking in the spirit. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Because the Holy Spirit is the most non-talked about thing in the entire scripture. Because it's the mystical, mysterious side of our faith. But we're going to get into it tonight. One of my favorite uh, theologians, also cartoon characters, is named G.I. Joe. His theme when I was a kid growing up, they'd have this big battle and then they'd, they'd come to victory. And they'd end the show with, knowing's half the battle. It is. And when it comes to your faith, knowing is more than half the battle. And you have to know that we wake up every day preoccupied and oriented to a life that leads to death. And so every day, we have to reorient ourselves so we become preoccupied with the things of the Spirit because that brings peace and life. And I'm going to put more uh, flesh to this bone here in just a second. But the first step in walking according to the Spirit is knowing that there is now a new dominion over your life. As a Christian... I'm not talking about people who are not Christians. I'm talking someone who is in Christ, who has surrendered their life and acknowledged that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty and they are his, they're the Lord and Savior. Okay? The first step for people who are walking in faith in Jesus, walking according to the Spirit, is that there's a new dominion over your life. Trust the Spirit of God that now dwells in you and is ready to lead and guide you each and every day. 
Let's look at verse 7 through 11. Grab your Bibles. Verse 7, Paul continues, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is, li is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who, is raised, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Okay, there is so much here. Did you catch the power of the Holy Spirit? What, is, what does Paul say right here that the Holy Spirit is responsible for? Did you catch that? We glaze over it. The Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of each one of you who follows Jesus. Because when you give your life to Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you, lives in you. And according to to Romans 8, 7 through 11. The power of the Holy Spirit of God was the one responsible for raising Jesus from death to life. It's the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from dead to life. Can I get an amen? That's incredible. And that is the same spirit that lives in you. So how can we walk through this life living in the spirit and be like, is this it? What? That doesn't make sense. And so here's what we do. We need to harness and grab the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to each believer in Christ. This is my second point. Walking according to the Spirit means raising your sail. Now you have no idea what that means. That's okay. I'm going to explain it to you. Raise your sail. Many of us in here probably have never sailed in our entire life, okay? But let me explain to you why I love this illustration to explain the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because the Holy Spirit is the wind in this story, okay? The Holy Spirit is the wind. You can't see it. You don't really know what direction it's going in. And you're in the boat, all right? You're in Christ. You're in the boat. And what we do is we get in the boat and we're like, I'm not moving. Uh, I need to, we gotta get moving. We gotta, we're just sitting here. All right, we gotta, we, gotta, we gotta do this. And we're in a sailboat and we decide to grab the oars. And we just start, we start rowing as hard as we can. And we're sweating and we're not getting very far. As far as we're going, we're getting really slow. We're not making much, much uh, progress. But it's a sailboat. Why are we rowing? What do we do? As Christians, our responsibility is not to manufacture transformation. Row, 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 row. Our job as Christians is not to become justified and right with God. Row. We think we can row. Row into goodness with God. We can row our way into a right standing with God. No. Raise the sail. Our job is to raise the sail so that we catch the power of the wind. And then it's the wind that pushes us and leads us and guides us through life. 
and the Holy Spirit, as we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, is the wind. But I think too many of us as Christians never put up the sail. We just look at the wind like, wow, it's windy out here. I better get rowing, right? We attend more stuff. We sing louder. We change our radio station to the Christian station. We row, we're rowing, we're rowing. Did you ever think about what the actual job of the Holy Spirit is? This is incredible. Because when you start thinking about what is the job description of the Holy Spirit? I know for a long time I was like, I don't know, to be a ghost? I, like, I don't know, scare people, right? Growing up, like I never heard sermons on the Holy Spirit, never. Because it's, this, it's kind of the, the mystical side of our faith. Here it is. We got, I think we have a slide for it, so if you want to take a picture, because I'm going to go through these quickly. Here we go. The job description of the Holy Spirit is one, con to convict the world of sin. Two, his job is to take up residence in the believer, to indwell the believer. He is our seal and our guarantee of salvation. He counsels us. He reveals truth to us. He leads and guides us. He gives. He is the giver of spiritual gifts. And then he takes those spiritual gifts, and he is the producer of fruit in your life. These are all the things that he does. He convicts, he resides, he seals, he guarantees, he counsels, he leads, he guides, he reveals, he gives, and he produces. That is one heck of a wind gust. Raise the sail. Raise your sail. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit lives in you is the wind. But being filled with the Holy Spirit means raising your sail. We're called to do both, right? He indwells us. That is what God does. We are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the indwelling happens at the moment of salvation and the raising of our sail in one way, shape, or form is the spiritual disciplines. Okay, it's, it's part passive and part active. That's where it gets a little bit confusing. The passive side says, you know what? We're not responsible. We're not the wind. We have no power in ourselves to move. It's the whole, so I, my job is to step back and let the Holy Spirit lead me and guide me. My job is to follow and be obedient. My job is to follow and be obedient. So I'm, in, in that respect, I'm passive. God's working. The wind is blowing. The active part is raise the sail. That's what we do. We create an environment of dependence on the Holy Spirit by raising the sail. Let me tell you how we raise the sail. We come to church, raise the sail. We read and marinate in the Bible, raise the sail. We spend time praying and listening you raise the sail. You respond in obedience to God's leading. It's raising the sail. We confess and repent quickly. It's raising the sail. You surround yourself with other people who are also raising their sails. We memorize scripture. You raise the sail. And here's the weird thing, because that whole list to me sounds like Romans 7. Do, 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 do. Go to church, sing songs, read the Bible, memorize scripture, be in a small group, right? Right? I hope some of you are feeling that tension right now. 
Because here's the problem and here's the wonderful thing about it. This list can absolutely be a Romans 7 list where we just, it turns into trying and I'm gonna grit my teeth and I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Or it can be a Romans 8 list where we step back and say, Holy Spirit, you do it. It's a motivation of the heart issue. And depending on the motivation of your heart, every time you come to church, every time you read your Bible, every time you, read, you pray, every time you go to small group, depending on the motivation of your heart depends on whether you're working in a Romans 7 world or a Romans 8 world. Because a Romans 8 list I go to church and say, God, teach me and show me. Whoever's speaking, I don't care who it is. I don't care what kind of music it is. If it's, if it's gospel, truth, and music, then God, minister to me, speak to me. A Romans 8 quiet time reading the Bible isn't, I'm gonna go to the Bible to get something. I'm gonna go to the Bible to hear and receive the instruction on my life. A Romans 8 scripture memorization is not, oh, I'm going to memorize Bible verses so that, so that I, I know everything and, I'm, 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 I, and God will think I'm great. No, we memorize scripture to always constantly be marinating on God's word so that the spirit of God dwells in me and I'm feeding the spirit with his word so that as I go through my day, I can bring, remember verses. They can help me hold me accountable. They can encourage me. They can preach the gospel to me all throughout my days. And so we do all these things. We call them church activity and church programs. In a Romans 8 world, it's about the motivation of the heart. Why do you go to church? When you leave, do we complain about the style or the message that didn't hit me where I wanted to be hit? It didn't really relevant. The speaker's not that great. What, what is the, what, what, that is a me-centered view that I'm here to get something. Versus I'm here to hear from God so that he can lead me and direct me because that's the power. He's the wind. He's the wind that pushes the boat and moves us in the direction, not that you want to go, the direction that the Lord wants to move you in. Raise the sail. We don't experience the power of the Holy Spirit because we don't raise the sail. We start rowing, and then we try and get, row harder, and then we try and get in a different boat that's better and prettier and more aligned with my belief system, and we, we're, just gonna, we're gonna keep rowing. And what do you get to when you keep rowing like that? You get to Paul in Romans 7, verses 24 and 25. Oh, what a wretched man I am. I'm so tired. Is this all there is? Is this what the Christian faith is all about? Just doing stuff? I'm gonna serve here, I'm gonna go to church here, I'm gonna read my Bible here. Like, I'm exhausted. It's because you're rowing. It's, it's the position of our heart when we come to God's word. It's the position of our heart when we come to worship. It's the position of our heart of humility and receiving versus controlling and manipulating. Our posture is dependence. We live out our faith in Christ the exact same way we came to faith in Christ. You know, let me say that again. We live out our faith in Christ the exact same way we came to faith in Christ with three little words, I need you. That's how you came to faith in Jesus. Because you came to a place in your life 
where you realized you needed a redeemer and you needed a savior and you needed someone to live a life and die a death and raise again that you cannot do. And we live our Christian life the exact same way. We wake up every day, I need you. We go to work, I need you. I go on a date, I need you, Lord. I have a fight, I need you. My feelings are hurt, God, I need you. We're raising the sail. Those three words are raising the sail. We have to create an environment within your life where you can catch as much Holy Spirit as you possibly can. And it starts with, I need you. Because inevitably, our default is self-reliance instead of spirit dependence. We wake up every morning as human beings self-reliant instead of spirit dependent. Verses 12 through 13, let's read. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. We, you guys see in this theme here? For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live. This is my third point. Walking according to the spirit means realizing that you and I are at war. Walking according to the spirit means realizing, maybe some of you for the first time, that there is a war being waged for your soul and for your life. Because what did Jesus say in John 10.10? 10? The enemy comes to what? To steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy you. 1 Peter 5.8 5, says, be sober-minded and alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion waiting to give you a massage? No, devour you. Too many times, too many times in our Christian faith, we dabble with sin because we don't think it's that dangerous. We accept and we're a tolerant of sin in our lives because we're like, eh, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as that person, Right? We like to compare and contrast. And what Satan does is he's sneaky. And he says, you know what? Compare and contrast all day. Tolerate your sin forever and ever and ever because it will steal the joy of your life. It will steal away the power of the Holy Spirit. Because what, to, to follow the, the sailboat example, when we sin, we drop the sail. We drop the sail. Verse 13, there's that word that says, put to death. It's the Greek word, thanateo. And it means to make die, to destroy, to render extinct. So let's read that again. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, get, catch this, not by your effort, not by your good deeds. It says, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you put to death, if you make extinct the deeds of the body. So our goal to walk with the spirit is to wage war on sin in our life. Not because it's gonna earn you brownie points, not because it's gonna earn your salvation. We wage war because we know that that life leads to death. And a life in obedience leads to life and peace. One day I came home 
to my house. We moved kind of out into the Deer Creek area, and we, we were in town, and, and so we had some new experiences uh, out in the country. And one day, I came home, kind of put my bag down, and I heard two of my kids come running out of their bathroom just screaming bloody murder. I was like, I don't know what you're saying. You know, like one of those screaming moments, like, calm down, what's going on? And they're like, there's a snake in the bathroom. I'm like, okay, who's got the toy snake? Because <laughs> that's a real, it's reality in our house. Um, and so I'm like, okay, I'll walk in there. So I walk into the bathroom and there's a snake. And I look down like, whoa, that is real. That is a real snake. Okay. And so here's what I did. As a great dad, I said, all right, everybody gather around. Let's play with the snake. No, I didn't say that. That would be terrible parenting. What did I do? I said, Get, move back. That is dangerous. It is waiting to bite you. We didn't play with it. I didn't dare my kids to see how close they could get to it. What I did was I became a hero in my kids' eyes. I went to the kitchen and I got a butcher knife. <laughs> True story. Totally selfish on my side. I was like, I'm gonna become a hero, and I was. And I walked into that bathroom, went and got my cowboy boots on because my tennis shoes weren't going to keep those teeth away. And I stepped on it with my left foot and I took that knife and I slammed it, cut its head right off. That is how we need to start dealing with sin in our life because too many of us, we like to play with the snake. We like to play and dabble and see how close we can get without really getting burned. But what did I tell my kids? It's the same thing God tells us. Flee the youthful lusts of your flesh. Don't hang around it. Flee. Flee. Tim Keller's got an amazing quote. He's one of my favorite authors. He says this, When we sin, we endeavor to, we endeavor to frustrate the aim and purpose of the entire life, death, and ministry of Jesus Christ. Let me read that one more time. When we sin, we endeavor to frustrate the aim and purpose of the entire life, death, and ministry of Jesus. That's why we repent, people. That's why we change direction. Because follow me here. If Jesus is like, follow me, let's go this way. Let's move. I've got things for you to do. I've got purposes for your life. I've got a life to the full. Let's go. When I sin, I am turning and saying, no, we're going this way. And I go, Poof. we're frustrating what God's trying to accomplish in our life. So why do we repent? We repent so we can get back in the right direction. We turn from our sin and we mortify it. We kill it. Because putting, here's the cool part of this, is when we start cooperating with the Spirit, not fighting the Spirit, when we start saying, God, I'm going to raise my sail. Take me, show me, lead me, convict me of my sin. Show me. And we start cooperating with the Spirit. The converse is also true. You can know that you are actually working with Jesus for the purposes he has for you. Oh, man, that's a good place to be. When we are walking in obedience, not out of guilt, not to manipulate God, but when we're walking in obedience out of grateful, 
thankful hearts. Jesus, you love me and you care for me. I want to follow you because you have a life and life to the full for me. I want that. So God, lead me, guide me, convict me. And we start cooperating with the Lord. We work with him. And we become co-laborers with Christ on our own behalf. Jesus came to condemn sin, not you. Galatians 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. I love Paul's words. Stand firm because you will be tempted. It will be hard. Repent and confess quickly and move around. Turn around, get going. It's forgiven. It's forgotten. You've been set free. Quit walking against the will of God in your life and join the Spirit and start walking in the Spirit. Raise the sail. God, fill me, lead me, teach me, guide me. Let me step in obedience. Convict me, move me, transform me. All of a sudden, our prayers look a whole lot different. So what do we do with this? The so what? Number one, maybe tonight when you go home, Maybe tomorrow when you feel that fear grip you, when that jealousy overtakes you, whatever it is, I want you to start watching where your mind goes when there's nothing on your mind. Write it down. Where does your mind go when there's nothing on your mind? I think a lot of times when there's nothing on our mind, we, we go for escape. We go for escape. We escape to Netflix, or we escape to our phone, Candy Crush, whatever it is, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. We, we escape to this world just so we don't, we can just lose ourselves there. When was the last time your escape was spending time in God's word with the Holy Spirit saying, God, fill me and teach me and heal me and renew me and send me? When was the last time our escape was with the Spirit of God? So watch where your mind goes when there's nothing on your mind. And then capture those things. When you're stressed, where does your mind go? When you're scared, where does your mind go? When your insecurities rise up, where does your mind go? When anxiety grips you and controls you, where does your mind go? Set your mind on things above, for there is life and peace. Secondly, feed what you want to grow and starve what you want to die or defeat. Feed what you want to grow and starve what you want to defeat. And I'm just going to ask you bluntly and plainly, is there a sin in your life that you're playing games with, that you're dabbling in, that you're tolerating, that you know good and well is leading you away from the things of God, that you just tolerate? I'm telling you right now, when we tolerate sin, when we dabble with it and say, eh, let's just see, it's not gonna be that bad, it won't hurt me. I promise you, I promise you, one, it will devour you because no one starts with the big stuff. It will control you. It will take from you more than you could ever imagine. So what is it for you? You need to identify what I call my fatal flaw. What's your fatal flaw? If Satan is gonna get you, if he's gonna defeat you in this war that is being waged for your soul, how's he gonna do it? Comparison? Perfection? Pornography? A deep desire to be loved by somebody? 
Because what will end up happening is all those things I just named and whatever it is for you will become your idol that you will worship. Because we are created for worship. We will worship something. And Jesus says, worship me. Because with me is life and peace. Walk with the Spirit, raise that sail, and go with me and you will find life. Thirdly, preach grace-centered mini-sermons to yourself throughout the day. I know that sounds really churchy, but basically it's this. You need to remind yourself of your position in Christ all the time. You are forgiven. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because what Satan likes to do when it comes to a battle with sin is remind you of what you've done, where you've been, and who you really are. That's what Satan likes to do. He's called the accuser in Revelations, and that's exactly what he does. He will accuse you and accuse you and remind you of debt that you owe to God that has already been paid. Because he wants to keep you in that prison. And Jesus says, no, no, follow me. I have set you free from the law of sin and death. Walk with me. Let me lead you to life and peace. Watch where your mind goes. Feed what you want to grow and preach grace to yourself. What does grace look like in the moment of temptation? What does grace look like in the moment of anxiety? It's, this is what it looks like. This is how you preach grace to yourself. And it's just one way. When that moment comes, when the temptation comes, we don't say, oh man, that looks good. This is what we say. Look and remember what God has done for me. Would I respond to that grace by going in the opposite direction? Would I abuse the grace that's been offered to me? Romans 6.1, Paul's writing this. He says, should we sin that grace may increase? He's like, no, what are you talking about? That'd be like, I mean, honestly, let's just be real for a second. That'd be like me cheating on my wife. She forgives me. In fact, she wipes and goes like, it's okay, I forgive you. And I say, hey, appreciate the grace. I'm gonna go do it again because I know you'll give me grace. That's abuse of grace. And so when it comes to mortifying or killing sin in our life, waging war, the grace that saves us is also the grace that empowers us. Raise the sail. Remember in those moments of temptation, those moments of anxiety, those moments of fear, who I am in Christ. I am saved. I am loved. I am forgiven. I've been set free. Why would I respond with this to that? To that good news. How could I possibly respond with rebellion? So, the camp high, we've all felt it. But I had a good friend of mine bring up a great point. Just earlier today, he said, but did you ever think of why we have the camp high? Because I always vilify the camp high. As the former youth pastor, I'm like, oh man, the camp high, ugh. But did, he, but did you ever think about the camp high? Like, why do we get the camp high, the mission trip high? Here's why. Because when you go to camp and you go on a mission trip, you spend an entire week raising the sail all day, every day, doing Bible study and having fun with fellow believers and getting in God's word together and singing in the morning and singing at night. You are raising the sail all stinking day. And here's the great news. The same Holy Spirit, the same Spirit of God that was at that camp, 
that's at the gathering tonight, that's at church on Sunday, is the same God and the same spirit that will be with you tomorrow morning at eight o'clock when you walk in that work. Raise the sail. Raise the sail. The Holy Spirit don't change. His power doesn't matter where you are. Raise the sail. Tomorrow, ask the Spirit, God, teach me and lead me. Come to his word with humility, ready to receive the instruction. And here's what's gonna happen to sin in your life. You will start seeing sin become less and less and less and less. Not because you feel guilty, not because you're great, because you have changed your mind and you have set your things on the spirit of God. That's what I never heard as a kid. That's what I never heard in high school. That's what I never heard in college. But as a 41-year-old, that's what I know. Sin will not die in your life until you start changing your mind and what you set it on, what you are preoccupied with, what your mind is oriented to. Raise your sail, get in God's word, marinate it, memorize it, sing worship songs, not to be good with God, but to get that good God deep inside here. And you'll start living that out. Let's pray. God, I wanna thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for, for the Apostle Paul that writes to us and tells us, hey, not only are you new, not only are you forgiven, not only is there no condemnation, but now walk in the spirit. I've given you the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I've given you the power. The spirit is the power of our faith. God, I know for a lot of us this is a new concept. God, I pray that you would teach us how to walk according to the spirit that you would help us be obedient. You would help us to step into that moment of obedience. And God, that you would help us. I mean, you told us you're gonna send the helper. Jesus, you're gonna leave, but you will send us a helper as we walk through this life. So God, help us. Help us to know the truth of your word. That we might walk in life and peace and live the abundant life. Guys, our prayer team's gonna be in the back. We always go into 120 seconds just to sit with what, we, what we've just talked about, what we've read. So just sit there, pray, think, journal, whatever. But our prayer team is always in the back. Maybe for you, the first step of walking in, in step with the Spirit is just praying and having someone pray over you. Go do that. If you need to confess and repent, go do that. Afterwards, they'll be up front. But we wanna offer that to you every single week. We have people that are ready and excited and humble to pray for you. So we'll go into two minutes and then we'll worship some more.